Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Well, it's Palm Sunday. Let me give you a reading from, if you have your Bible, and I hope you have a Bible with you this morning, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. I'll try and shorten this down this morning a little bit. Just get a thought to you today on this wonderful, wonderful occasion of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And reading from verse 1, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs it, and we'll return it soon. The two disciples left and found a colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? And they said, Jesus had told them to say, what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many or multitudes in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches, that, palm branches that they had cut in the fields. And Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, blessed is the son of David. Praise God in the highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple, and after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree full, in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there, were no leaves, but, there were, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat from your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and sending animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the table of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And he said to them, the scripture declares my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree, he had cursed. The disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day. And he, explained, and he exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth that you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen because you must really believe it. It will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything if you believe that you have received it. It will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone who's holding a grudge against you so that your Father in heaven will forgive you your sins. Again, they entered Jerusalem and Jesus was walking through the temple area and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law 
And the elders came to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I tell you, by what authority I do these things? If you answer one question, Jesus replied, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe John? But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we do not know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Amen. What a clever Savior. What a great Savior. Here we are after three and a half years of his earthly ministry, 33 years old. The Savior comes to the crux of what it's all about. The word crux comes from a Latin word. The word crucial and crux both have their root in the Latin word for the cross. It's amazing, isn't it? Even in English, the cross has affected even our vocabulary and our dictionary. Because the cross is the crucial. It is the crux moment in history. This is what it's all about, folks. This, this journey, this, these next five days of journey and then to a cross, this is what it's all about. You know, we've 89 chapters in our four Gospels. 29 of them are given to this last week of Passion. 29. In fact, Passion Week is like, it's, it's like the Gospels are all about Passion Week. In fact, Passion Week with a long introduction. That's really what the Gospels are. It's all about Passion Week with a long introduction. This is the apex. This is the crux. This is the crucial moment. And Jesus was hinting this when you go back into Luke's Gospel. Just a few days earlier, some, uh, some analysts say that was the, was the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus met with Elijah and Moses. And there it says they discussed his demise is what we say in the English, but the actual original word means exodus. So Jesus is preparing his exodus. Just like Moses in the Old Testament has had an exodus where he led the people through the Red Sea, through the slaying of the, the lamb. And Jesus too was preparing his exodus, an exodus of exoduses. Amen. That would be a tongue twister at any type of the hour. Amen. And so we are now coming to this portion of the life of Christ where one-third of all the Gospels is referring to this week. One-third of all his teaching, some of his most important teachings, teaching of end times, his teaching of love, his teaching of giving, his teaching about hypocrisy, all that, friends, is there. His teaching about his authority, it's, it's phenomenal. This is an amazing full, full time in the life of the Savior. But here we have Palm Sunday, a time where now the, the, the embracing of Christ's ministry seems to be at last dawning upon the multitudes. Jesus is coming back from Jericho. He's after healing blind Bartimaeus on the way. He's already after raising Lazarus just a few days earlier from the dead, after being dead for three days. And, and, and if you read that account, it says that there, even the Pharisees, determined not just to kill Jesus, but also to kill Lazarus. Because Lazarus was a leading member of the community. He was a wealthy man, him and his two sisters. 
They were outstanding members of the Jewish community. Lazarus had become a believer in Jesus. He had succumbed to death. They were all at his burial. They were all weeping and all moaning and crying. And Jesus came and spoke the word of life. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. And so the religious world began to tremble at the revelation of Christ. Because all of a sudden, they had rejected John the Baptist before him. They were now also rejecting Christ and plotting a way to kill Christ and to kill Lazarus. And so there's no small stir now as Jesus, this is something that Jesus is embracing, the consciousness of his full calling here. And it wasn't, it didn't escape the crowd as he leaves Jericho, 16 miles of a journey through Bethpage. And as he comes into Jerusalem, they get this colt, this donkey in fulfillment of the Zechariah scriptures. And he sits upon this donkey and there's this sense of expectation. Of course, it's Jew, the Jewish nationalistic uh, fever was at its peak at this time of the year. Jews from all over the known world were making it their way to Jerusalem. It was one of the biggest festivals of the Jewish calendar. So there were thousands making their way. Jesus was in the Jericho. He's doing 16 miles. Now Jericho is about 2,500 feet below sea level. So he's, it's a steep incline. We've been there, myself and Catherine. We've been to Israel a few times. And so it's a long journey for him. It's a long walk from Jericho. It's anyway, anywhere from Israel to Jerusalem, you have to go up. Yeah, that's why they sang the Psalms of Ascent. The Ascent was as you ascended towards Jerusalem once a year as a Jewish family. You read those Psalms of Ascent. And after you had your sins forgiven and cleansed, you sang the Psalms of Descent as you left and went home once a year. And so there is this huge fever pitch in, in Israel. There's this nationalistic uproaring that has happened. This, this uh, insurrection was always, always just looming at the doors. There was always attempts to overthrow the Roman rule. And so this, this sense of, uh, you know, that maybe the Messiah might come at this time, according to the prophecies, was all over the Jewish people. This sense of hope, this sense of expectation. And so when Jesus comes in, there's this anointing, there's this revelation of him. All of a sudden, people begin to catch something about his entry into Jerusalem as he comes down upon the Mount of, from the Mount of Olives over the bed page into the Mount of Olives. I, I, can hear, I can see it. I can see him crossing the brook Kidron in the Kidron Valley and then making the ascent up towards the Eastern Gate, which is called the Golden Gate, which is also known as the Mercy Gate. And there, there's this explosion of, of, of Jewish enthusiasm because they see something. This is the man that they've heard about. He, risked, he had just brought back to life Lazarus. He, just, he healed 10 lepers just a week ago. He blind Bartimaeus, who we've seen him begging all the time, and now he's running around healed. And so this Messiah is coming in, and the people have this sense of expectation. They're, they're absolutely fever-gripped that maybe this is the moment that the Messiah as they want him to be, is going to come and deliver the Jewish people from the Roman rule. That was all they could think of. It's amazing. You know, most of the time, your need is not the need that you think it is. Sometimes, even now, you're sitting here as, as people, and I, 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 like you, we pray about our need, and we think our need is X. And God says, no, it's not X, it's Y. It's something completely different. And so the expectation of the people... And this is where the Jews got it badly wrong. The Jews still have it badly wrong. And the Jews will get it badly wrong until he comes and opens their eyes. They wanted an earthly kingdom. They thought that all we needed, our Messiah was going to be so earthly. You know, there was one of the old writers said, you build too, you build too small he who builds beneath the skies. 
And that was the whole Jewish mentality. Let's have a ruler that would rule in righteousness so that we could go out and plant our fields and prosper. We would have peace in our land. We'd have an abundance of supply. We'd have happy living. And that's all it was about. It was about the material world. You know, as if materialism, as if even if Putin leaves tomorrow, and even if peace is restored, it's only a quasi-peace, friends. We go back to the same dog-eat-dog mentality. We go back to the same world that is always aggressive against one another, full of selfishness, full of strife, full of hatred, full of backbiting, full of sin, full of immorality, full of thieving. And so we think that a rule, a great ruler could come in and his presence will just sedate uh, the environment around us. That's what the Jews were looking for. They had such a mute understanding. They got it wrong the first time when he came. They got it wrong the first time and they'll get it wrong the second time. Because they're looking for the wrong type of savior. But you know, it's not solely a Jewish problem. It's a global problem. Everybody wants a savior, but they think, well, Lord, just save me from my debt. I owe too much money to the bank. Save me, Lord, you know, from my bad marriage. Or save me from my health issue. And their life becomes so focused upon what is really, friends, very, very, very secondary issues here. And so you can imagine as Jesus is coming in, there's thousands upon thousands of Jews. It's possible that the city of Jerusalem had swollen to nearly a million people at different times coming in and out. Huge crowds of people. The Romans were on red alert. Pilate would have had about a thousand guards at the Antonian uh, garrison in Jerusalem. Because at all these Jewish festivals, nationalism was becoming, you know, to a fever pitch where a spark could just start a riot and a riot could start an insurrection and that war would just bleed on and they didn't want that happening. So this is the background that Jesus is coming into. It's not a happy world. It's full of strife. And, and then the temple itself was so corrupted. The Jews had corrupted the revelation that God had given them. The Sadducees controlled the temple. They were people that really were of the upper echelons of the Jewish uh, religious world. They, they were the ones that, you know, basically they came from the more well-heeled backgrounds and they had, during the intertestamental period where we're in, they were the ones that really had, at the end of the day, they had guardian, guardianship, uh, uh, guard, guardianship over the temple and the priests, the sacrifice, etc. And yet they had become corrupted themselves because they were in cozy deals with the money changers. So the money changers were short, short-changing the people as they came up. They were sending defective sacrifices. The whole thing was a mess, friends. The whole thing was a religious charade. That it didn't, you know, nobody wanted to ask the hard question. Just like much of religion today, probably most religions today. It's just a charade. It's just, it's just friends, uh, papering over the cracks, pretending we don't have issues when there's real issues there. Right at the core of Judaism, there was a real, real issue. God had a real controversy with the Jews because when, when much is given, much is re- required, Jesus said. And they were given the prophets and they were given the law and they were given the manifestation of God. And yet they had so blurred it, friends. They had so darkened it. They had fallen away from the centrality of what the message was always meant to be about. And they had brought their whole worldview down to a worldlyism. And they wanted a savior that would indemnify that. And of course, but they're, they're so corrupted now. Their nationalism had replaced true spirituality. Everything from circumcision to being a Jew was all about national identity. It was literally a form of Nazism in many ways to the part where, 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 where others were excluded. 
There was elements of the Jewish faith that had become so aggressive towards Gentiles in their nature, so aggressive in their attitude. The Gentile was known as a dog. That's what you were known, the Gentile dogs. And so that spirit had come into there. Not all were that, but that was the majority spirit, the judgmental, the, the, the whole idea of we're going we're gonna, to, through the power of the natural man, let me tell you, friends, flesh and blood will never inherit the kingdom. And so Jesus comes in on the back of some incredible miracles. As I said, lepers, ten of them, Bride Bartimaeus, Lazarus, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, the incredible teaching, other great miracles were all leading up to this event. And so now the Jews are thinking, this is one of the most holiest times of our calendar year. This, is, this must be the Messiah. He's surely going to do it now. He's surely going to be the type of God and Messiah we want him to be. And so Jesus comes in, crosses the brook Kidron, and they're, they're shouting, Baruch Habak Shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. And Hosanna can be used as a praise word, but it also goes back to a more original root, which means save us. You know, so in, in, in that praise is this, it would have been a cry of a slave that was in chains. Hosanna, as they would hold up their chains, save us, save us. And so they're trying to put some bluster into Christ and into the disciples. I can only imagine how the disciples must have felt at this moment. I'm sure Peter was feeling really chuffed with himself because, you know, three years Jesus is not getting much acceptance by, by, by the masses. I mean, he's, he, he's accepted by pockets. People are amazed at his teaching. But the sway is held by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They hold the hour. They hold the ground. And I'm sure, you know, and now at this moment in history, it seems to be this endorsement of Jesus. Everyone is crying out. Thousands of people. I, I can't prove it, but I do believe that Peter was out in front of Jesus. Somehow I think that Jesus was behind him. Peter was, you know, the chest out, he's with me, or I'm with him. You know, at last they like us, Jesus. At last, you know, we're being accepted. Uh, at last the world loves us. At last, so the world will always love you as long as you love the things that they love and do the things that they want you to do. But that was not what was going to happen here. So Jesus goes into the Kidron. He crosses over. People are cutting down the palm branches. People are taking off their garments, placing them on the hedgerows, putting them on the floor. They're announcing that someone special is coming in, possibly the Messiah. He says, everybody's whispering the Messiah. I'm sure the Antonian garrison in Jerusalem was on high alert. I've no doubt about it. It's on high alert that time of the year. Anyhow, and even today in Israel, whether it's a Muslim event on or a Jewish event on, the very minute those big events happen, the city is on high alert because one is going to attack somebody. Somebody's going to attack somebody there. So Pilate would have had his men on high alert. And so Jesus comes in to the east gate. And I just want you to think about this. He's coming in on this donkey. There's thousands of people hailing him and crying out. There's so many people have an expectation of what he's going to do. Oh, he's surely, he's surely going to go right outside the Roman garrison. That's, that's what any, any Messiah would do. Sure, he's going to go and he's going to have a rallying time there. And he's going to rally the faithful. And he's going to, he's going to, he's going to go outside the door and he's going to bring the nation together. And they're going to overthrow the, the Roman rule in the country. And this is the expectation because, oh, sure, our problems are all those Romans. If we got rid of the Romans, we'd be happy. Well, we said that about 70 years ago. If we got rid of the British, we'd be happy. 
I want to tell you, friends, there's no more happiness now than what it was 70 years ago. And other people said it, say, oh, we get rid of this people, or we get rid of this, even, dare I say, even if we get rid of Putin, I want to tell you, it's not going to increase the happiness of anybody. Because I tell you, apart from the Lord, friends, there is no peace, the Bible says, until the Prince of Peace comes. We have shaky, all we have is shaky truces, Mexican standoffs that all break down. And you can imagine as Jesus is coming in and the crowds are sweating and they're crying and there's a fever pitch. The disciples are euphoric. They're excited that their rabbi at last has been acknowledged for who they all believed him to be. You're, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly father. And Peter is feeling justified. John is feeling justified. They're all feeling excited, friends. And yet he goes there. And as he, I want you to understand the geographical location of this. He comes through the, what is known as the Golden Gate or the East Gate. And you go up along what would have been the north facing side of the temple wall. The temple is quite large. The temple is on the height. So there's this large facing wall as he comes into the city. They're going alongside it, but eventually it goes to a T-junction. You go left towards the temple or you go right towards the Antonian garrison. And everybody's wanting one thing. They want him to go right towards the garrison. They want him to go there and, and to dislodge the Roman rule and to set up a, an army and to take back the kingdom and, and, and restore order to Israel. That's what they want. And you can imagine at that moment in time, he doesn't do what they want him to do. He doesn't go right, friends. He goes left to the temple. You can imagine what people's responses in their heart was. I don't know how you feel when you're at a deciding point in your life when a decision has to be made. And you so desperately want God to do, you want God to go right, but he doesn't go right for you, he goes left for you. Have you ever felt like that in your Christian experience where you're facing a right or left decision and you're asking God's will, but he doesn't do it your way. He doesn't answer your way. He seems to go the opposite direction and all of a sudden, well, why didn't you turn right? Why didn't you do what I wanted you to do, Jesus? Why didn't you go here? That's always the thing, isn't it? That's the battle of our faith. To trust God even when it doesn't make sense to us. To trust that He knows what He's doing. He knows what He's doing with your life. Amen? There's going to be a Gethsemane, friends. There's going to be a cross, but there's also going to be a resurrection. Nothing. After all that, he goes left. He goes to the temple. What a disappointment. Not even a rabble-rousing song. Not even giving out about, they didn't even give out about taxation. He said... He says the next day, give to Caesar what's due to Caesar. And to God, what's due to God? He says this the very next day. He's not playing their game. He doesn't play our game. Because he knows what you need. He knows what you need. As I said at the start, we don't always know what we need. We think we know what we need. He didn't need to be going right. Because my kingdom is not of this world. I need to do something in you. I need to build my kingdom within you. 
For the kingdom of God is neither low here nor low there, but the kingdom is within you. It's all about the inside, friends. It's all about the heart. It's all about your individual response to his overture. Regardless of this world, oh, the people, uh, you, people want this world one. They want it under some sort of millennial reign. They want it under some sort of uh, dominance of power, Christianized power that dominate and our morals win and your morals lose. Let me tell you, God's not interested in that. There's no moral virtue to compel moral behavior. God's not interested in Christians compelling others to live a certain way, forcing them. God wants his people to live the right way. He wants you to deal with your heart, you to deal with your own issues under his power and authority. And so it's all about the heart. It's all about pouring scorn upon our own expectations. And Christian, you need to lower your expectations, what you think you should be doing, what you think should be happening. And you need to be asking God, what are you doing? What's your plan? What are you doing in my life today, Lord? And he goes left. Thank God you went left, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that you embraced a Gethsemane. Thank you that you embraced the cross. And thank you that you won a resurrection. Hallelujah. Thank you that you didn't listen to the many voices that said, this is the best way for salvation. Get rid of the Romans and just let us all prosper. That's what that prosperity gospel is all about. It's all about your health and your wealth and your body. And Jesus is interested in your heart. Jesus is interested in, in the very core of you. That's where the need is. And that was the way the need was going to be met. What an anticlimax it must have been. What a disappointment. I'm sure Peter must have been gutted. Poor Peter. He's beginning to just sense the change in the atmosphere. Just to start. It's not that immediately they turned against Jesus, but a lot of commentators believe this was the dividing moment. This was where... He didn't quite do it the way we expected him to do it. He didn't go. He didn't take on the Romans. And the next three or four days teaching, he didn't do anything to talk against the Romans. He started talking about his kingdom. He started talking everything from hypocrisy to generosity. And so he astonished him with his, his teaching. And maybe this morning, you're disappointed as a Christian. Because you thought that God would have done this with your life. But instead, he, instead of bringing you right, he brought you left. But the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And this is where you and I must stand up on, on Palm Sunday and say, Oh God, I'm at a crossroads in my life and it's, it appears to me that you are not answering my prayer my way. It appears to me, God, that it's not going according to my plan. It appears to me, God, that you kind of missed it here in my life. It appears to me, God, that you're either not hearing me or you got a wrong idea of what would make me happy or what's good for me. But I want to tell you, friends, you need to rise above that. But thanks be to God this morning, he didn't listen to us 2,000 years ago. Thanks be to God, he went to the cross. Thanks be to God, even the powers of darkness came and tried to desist him from going to a cross. Everything but a cross. The crux, the crucial moment in history. And now that we have come into the victory of the cross, friends, true faith in that shed blood of Jesus, we must journey by faith in that cross. So even when I come up to situations and I have as many battles as you have, I, mean, I think that's a mystery. I probably have more. If you want to swap war stories, we can do that sometime over the coffee. But even when he doesn't go the direction I feel he should go, 
I want to tell you to just live by faith. We put our hand over our mouth as Job says and say, the Lord give, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is sovereign. And even though I don't understand how, why, or where, when, it's above my pay grade. It's beyond my pay grade. I know one thing. I said it last week. I know who I've believed and I'm persuaded. That's faith. When your body is shutting down, I say, my dear brother, breaks my heart to see you, Gavin. But he is coming back for us all soon. Whether or some of us go early or some of us stay till we, whether it's the sky for some or the grave for others, friends, it's but a drop, drop in time. That's all it is. And so, friends, he's not one to disappoint. My son Jordan, God bless you, Jordan. If you watch this later on, he, he had a, you know, he loves the rap and all that. He's a concert pian player, a pianist, and he's a brilliant musician, and wrote some of some of the best songs we sing here at Cork Church. In my unbiased, no biased opinion. <laughs> But I remember he had, a, he had a, some rap thing that he did with a video that's kind of quite common at the moment. And he put down, it was called Type to, to Disappoint, talking about himself. And I, as dad and mom, you know, uh, as we, we watched it w- one time and I could watch it no more because I said, you were never the type to disappoint. That was just our son, George. You were never the type to disappoint. None of our sons disappoint us. But I want to tell you, Jesus never disappoints. He is not a disappointment. Jesus is far more to me. than in all my glowing daydreams, I'd fancied he could be. And the more I get to know him, so the more I find him true. And the more I long that others should be led to find him too. He doesn't disappoint by going to the cross. And he will not disappoint because he leads you away from what you think your solution should be. And if you as a Christian, and I as a Christian can embrace that walk of faith, let me tell you, our expectations will never be dashed. We must live as he lived. Not my will, but thine be done. That's Gethsemane. Every Christian has to go through Gethsemane. There has to be a dying Every Christian must go to a cross. But Philippians 1.6 says that God didn't bring you this far to disappoint you. Hallelujah. Oh, the Jews were disappointed. They started to get a little bit tepid. And then as he began to teach the next day, oh yeah, he did. He came back the next day and he cleansed the temple. Yes, he did. But I just want you to think about that. Palm Sunday, all the furrow, all the knees up, all the shouts, all the acclamations. Walks around the temple, has a look around, gets back on, and gets out of Dodge. And everyone's like, that's what happened. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts, says the Lord. And as soon as we begin to embrace that as Christians, you start to develop your maturity in God. And so he goes, he goes back, and we know the teachings. You're going to follow it tomorrow. You're going to have some uploads in line, what Jesus did on the Monday and on the Tuesday and on the Wednesday. 29 chapters are given to those few days. 
But suffice to tell you this morning, what can you take away from Palm Sunday? When Jesus doesn't turn right for me and makes me go left, then he knows what he's doing. And I'm trusting him. Now, I don't know what you're facing. I'm sure that I spoke to some this morning and I could see in some people's eyes as I chatted with them, we talked about life, how difficult it is. You might feel very alone in your life. You might feel very cut off. You may not feel that Jesus has answered your prayers the way you think it should have been done. I want to tell you, he's answered your prayers exactly how it should be done. And that's you have to trust him now. For the just, just shall live by faith. Can you grow in faith with me today? Can you say their expectations were dashed? Yeah, the Jews, because they wouldn't let go of their expectations. Let go of your expectations and embrace his ones. Because that's what a Christian does. I am now a slave to righteousness. Whatever the master gives me is enough. Can you stand with me this morning? Because I want us to pray. Because there's some here this morning, you're very disappointed. You're disappointed in your life as a Christian. You're disappointed. You, you are, I, I would have thought by now I would have got a job. I would have thought by now I would have had a husband. I would have thought by now my body would be healed. I would have thought by now this would have happened. I would have thought Jesus would have turned right and just done the right thing. Instead, he bought me left. And now I'm at a Gethsemane. Can you stay in your Gethsemane? Not my will, but thine be done. Can you take that step of faith this morning? Close your eyes with me right across the church. Take that step of faith. And not because I'm telling you, it's because it should be in your heart. Say, God, not my will, but thine be done. Now when you do that, you're turning left. You're going towards the temple. You're going towards the presence of God. Amen. And say to the Lord, Lord, these are, these are my disappointments. But Lord, I'm going left with you. I'm going to embrace the temple. I'm going to embrace Gethsemane. I'm going to embrace the cross. But I'm believing for a resurrection. Hallelujah. Things may seem to be dead, but they're not without resurrecting. So I want you to ask the Lord, say, oh God, give me the faith to journey with you. Even though I feel a little disappointed in this journey. I thank you, Lord, that you didn't listen to the bad counsel back then. So, Lord, scratch all those prayers I've been asking you. Scratch all those ideas I've been trying to force on you. Scratch, Lord, my way. Try to make my way the only way. I apologize, Lord. I will receive from your hand this morning everything that you have for me, Lord. And if it includes a Gethsemane, and if it includes a cross, then by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I'll embrace that journey. Because you get the journey to get to the victory. Amen. Now, I don't know what you're in today, what your distress may be, and I don't want to belittle it in any way because I have lived and I, can, and I constantly live from day to day in different distresses. But you live by faith and trust your Savior and follow Him. And don't let your disappointments rob you from a blessing today. Close your eyes, lift your hands to the Lord, say, Oh God, forgive me. Come on, say, Oh, forgive me. God, help me this morning. And Lord, I'm going left with you. <laughs> I'm going to the temple with you. I'm going into the presence of God. For in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, even pleasures forevermore. I want to tell you, thanks be to God that he leads you into the presence of the Father. Thanks be to God he brings you into the temple, into his holy place. Thanks be to God he didn't bring you to Doyle, Aaron, or bring you to the White House, or didn't bring you to the EU or the UN. Thank God that's not where we go, friends. We go into the temple, into the 
the presence of God, for there there's fullness of joy. That's where the peace of God is. That's where the meaning of life is. And that's where we grow. And that's where God touches us. And so, Father, today on Palm Sunday, we bless you, Heavenly Father. We thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you, Lord, how you obeyed the Father all the way to that cross. And we thank you, Jesus, that you ever live to make intercession for each and every one. And so, God, we come before you in the closing of the service. And we say, oh, God, not our wills, but yours be done. And I'm going left to the temple. And I'm journeying with you. And I'm walking with you. And, Lord, you do not disappoint me. For our hope will not disappoint. And you are our hope. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.